I'm your host, Joshua Newman, and I'm joined today by Tanisha Singleton. The Greatest Show on Grass explores the past, present, and future of the recently reborn Los Angeles Rams. We've been doing this podcast the whole year, but haven't gotten around to doing uh, listener mail. So um, it was the bye week, and it gave me the chance to catch up on a few of our, our emails. We, we try to reply to each and every one of you. Um, uh, even though sometimes we're slow uh, to get back back to you. But um, pre- I called a few that uh, presented particularly interesting questions, I thought, and pointed towards some things we hadn't uh, addressed recently. Uh, so here it goes. Um, this first one was from uh, Jackson Ram Fan. Jackson Ram Fan. Uh, love the podcast. It's smart and always a fun listen. Especially love the historical stuff. Well, thank you, Jack Ram fan. Uh, One minor qualm, though. From what I gather, listening to the podcast, Joshua seems to be a Jeff Fisher supporter um, Mm. with little improvement in team performance during his tenure. Fan approval as low as it is. Negative press, a weekly thing, and reports that his shtick is even wearing thin with management. Can you please explain why you think this man should still be the Rams coach. Um, thank you, Jackson Ram fan. Um, I think a lot of people share that question and share that we want Jeff Fisher's head. We want him gone. Like We need somebody to be held responsible for this and something to send a message to the rest of the team that poor performance isn't going to, you know, be necessarily tolerated. Um, and I think Jeff Fisher was hired back in 2012 when the Rams didn't have a great bargaining position. Um, Jeff Fisher was the most coveted coach in the offseason. He was pursued by the Miami Dolphins and the the St. Louis Rams. And um, I think the Rams were really lucky uh, that he went with them. I think, you know, largely uh, the negotiation centered around, you know, Money, money, obviously, obviously first, money. first and foremost, probably the specter of Los Angeles played into it. The idea that um, the potential move to come here, pre- prepping mm-hmm. Fisher for the eventual, the possible eventual move. Um, so I think Fisher sort of got to got things pretty much on his own terms because he was in such a great bargaining position. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rams have had a tough time. Um, bringing in top coaching talent. Um, at least they did in St. Louis since, you know, Dick Vermeil left. They had a hard time. Brought in a series of nobodies. Um, were always attached to big-name um, coaches. Mike Ditka they, they was rumored. Vermeil coming back was rumored. Um, Gruden at times was rumored. Um, but, um, but we got Fisher. And that I think was a great thing. In short, I think Fisher's wings need to be clipped. Mm-hmm. I think um, right now he's kind of playing the Mike Holmgren style like 
coach slash GM, I don't believe Les Need is making many All personnel perfect. decisions without Jeff Fisher's approval. And sure. I think there's just a very healthy system of checks and balances that needs to be put in place between a GM and a head coach. And Jeff Fisher just has too much power right now. Um, so I do think um, his wings need to be clipped. Yeah, because I think, too, if if the Rams were winning, no one would be asking for his head. You know what I mean? Like, there's never an issue with a coach, I've noticed, until there's some type of fan upright, like, until fans are pissed off, and that comes, like, you know, from just losing all the time. Sure. So, and when fans are sick of losing all the time, they just want somebody to be held responsible, and that's always chopping the head off the leader. And Jeff Fisher is the leader of this team, whether it's warranted or not. And you, it, all it takes is one 12-4 season, and all of a sudden... Absolutely. Like, oh, he's fucking amazing. Tom Coughlin. <laughs> he's um, Bill Belichick. Are you kidding me? I remember, like, you know, Tom Coughlin with the Giants struggled early um, coaching that team made some changes in his coaching style, made some personnel changes, and uh, all of a sudden, and then he won two Super Bowls, um, and everyone loves him. Um, yeah. So, and he was, you know, everyone thought the game had passed him by. It was too old. Right. He was too conservative. He was too hard on players. Um, not necessarily the same set of concerns with Fisher, but um, it's hard to find somebody who can just competently lead an organization i just don't i just don't buy this setup as it now exists Kroenke was in a real position to give jeff fisher the whole kit and caboodle back in 2012 now he's not that's a i think that's a coveted job right now leading this team young nucleus um jeff fisher knows that there's that somebody would want that position mm-hmm. um and so he's not in a position of strength negotiating with Kroenke as he once was. So yeah, that, so I hope that, that, that helps uh, Jackson Ram fan. This one from, uh, this was a fun one. Cause we were um, actually, we were talking about this one from Mike Mayer in your first episode, you had a long conversation about who the Rams celebrity mascot should be. Oh yeah. Uh, like what Jack Nicholson is to the Lakers. Where do you now stand on things? Have you changed your minds? Who was, because we had said Kendrick Lamar would be a great one. We'd mentioned, I I liked Shaq, um, but he hasn't, I haven't seen him have too much play with the Rams at all. Well, Eric Gardner, who who mm-hmm. sometimes is a guest on this show, was the one that mentioned Kendrick Lamar, and he pulled that one out of his ass. And it was time, spot on. Like, like Kendrick yes. Lamar had no connection to mm-hmm. the NFL to the Rams, and then all of a sudden, an episode of of uh, Hard Knocks. There he is, out with Schoolboy <laughs> Q throwing the ball around um, in in training camp. He also appears from time to time on on screen at the game mm-hmm. um, to to get the crowd um, stand up and standing up and and making noise. So that was a totally amazing one. I said I remember my my dream Rams celebrity mascot was um, Robert Evans. Mm-hmm. That's who I wanted at the time because I felt like it. It sort of felt like, like okay, he's the Nicholson of the Rams. Plus, he actually did love the team. He was a big Merlin Olson fan during mm-hmm. the day, and he's just like so cool. It's ridiculous. So I was like, all right, Robert Evans. Anyway, no Robert Evans um, sightings at Rams games. Um, 
But looking at just mascots in general, I think they should be a little bit silly. They should be boisterous. They should be outgoing. They should be loud. They should be colorful. They should represent what the team embodies. And it seems that, I mean, we're out here living in LA and we see billboards all over the place now. And it seems just like Ryan Seacrest has just embraced this to the nth degree. I'm not a personal giant fan of Seacrest. Of Seacrest. Yeah. I don't listen to Kiss FM. I don't listen to Clear Channel. I don't listen to most FM radio anyway. It's AM or my Pandora or just my own jams. But he has, I respect him for embracing the Rams. And I respect him for, I mean. I mean, since the Rams, since January 12th, he's had um, one of the Jonas Brothers Jesus. sing Ram It on the air. <laughs> Lord. I think he had Elton John also. What? Yeah, singing Ram It. Um, he's had Tavon Austin on the show, Case Keenum. He's had uh, victory waffles with Case exactly. Keenum. Exactly. His wife, Kimberly. Kimberly. Keenum. Um, Seacrest has been, yeah, I think he is, will he be the symbol of no. Los Angeles Rams and LA moving forward? I don't know. Um, I he think, wants it. Yeah. He other, wants the job. Other <laughs> candidates, um, this guy, Taron Killam, who from Saturday Night Live, who's hmm. now, now left the show, he seems all in on the Rams, on the Rams, especially when they were three and one. Ty Burrell's always, mm-hmm. um, I just assumed he, he had, had St. That. Louis connections, but it he turns just, out, no, he was, he was an LA Rams guy growing up really? in Oregon. So he's been as excited about this as anyone. I was watching, uh, he had, um, Johnny Hecker and, and Robert Quinn on the set of, um, What's his show? What's that? Uh, Modern Modern Family. Family. So bad. Mm-hmm. I hate that show. <laughs> um, but um, uh, they were like interviewing him about his Rams fanaticism. So it's pretty amazing, you know. Um, Drew Barrymore, Elizabeth Banks, lots of big names at the games. Red um, Hot Chili Peppers. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Flea kind of, I mean, it's a mascot name in and of itself. He looks yeah, like a mascot. Yeah. So. <laughs> I would say, you know, one underrated um kind of uh, uh personality who's rallied behind the rams is the rapper yg oh um, yeah you got the girly jersey in the mm-hmm. why you hate video every time i hear that song i'm just like want to run for my old school <laughs> todd girly jersey um and um because i know when you hear that song you think of me totally yeah it's like oh yeah um, yg all day and he also <laughs> did um he did this limited edition t-shirt um for the Rams. So I thought that I haven't seen him at games or anything like that, but um, I don't know. I definitely want somebody that would just embody the culture a little bit, embody mm-hmm. some brassness, some, some bravado. Yep. You know what I mean? I don't want it to be air quote soft. I don't want them to seem so like, Hey, look at me. You know what I mean? Just kind of like, like a typical mascot is like, and I think that's what Seacrest would would lean more towards that. So I would embrace more of a, like, uh, someone with more gravitas. Yes. Right? Yeah. Someone with some balls. Yeah. Someone, you know what I mean? Just somebody that, well, YG has been shot. So yeah. So he's got the cred. (laughs) So he could do it. Somebody like Kendrick, somebody in that culture, somebody that would be proud of Los Angeles and what the diversity that this embodies. So somebody like that. So, I hope Kendrick keeps doing, uh, you know, some stuff for the Rams. I hope YG continues to. I think those two would be, I would lean more towards that than than Seacrest. But 
hey, I got to give it to Seacrest for, I mean, embodying this. And it's probably just because it's his job. This is a fun one from Sasha M. Uh, on episode eight, fried chicken, candied yams in the yes. Los Angeles Rams. Oh, I'm hungry now. Oh, no. A fried chicken, candied yam in Los Angeles Rams was awesome, especially like your deconstruction of Todd Gurley's Carl Jr. ad. Since In-N-Out burgers were featured on Hard Knocks, and Jack in the Box offers a free Jumbo Jack the day after the Rams score two touchdowns, I was wondering whether The Greatest Show on Grass has one burger they endorse over the others. Ooh. Ooh. So it, the question is the- Burgers. Todd Gurley's California Classic. Which we had. We actually did. We, did, we, we had those together. We had to try those out. Um, and we were- I think we were surprised. A little impressed, Im- right? A little surprised how yeah. much we enjoyed it, especially the um, the taste, the charbroiled right. taste of the burger. Yeah. Um, In Out, uh, which actually has a, a, a storied relationship with the team. I found an ad from the 1970s with the LA Rams. It was, a, it was an In and Out Burgers ad with the LA Rams cheerleaders mm. um, from the 1970s. No um, and, uh, of course, I think in that episode of Hard Knocks, um, the team sends Brandon Fisher, Jeff Fisher's son, who's like the DB's coach, and a bunch of other guys to get, like, to pick up burgers mm. for the team. <laughs> um, and um, So which of these burgers and then, do... Uh, and then third, the Jack in the Box, which... Which has that special promo? Which I which burger are they giving away? It is, is it just a jumbo jack? A jumbo jack. The day the Rams scored scored two, day, the day any, after day after the Rams scored two touchdowns. You also have to purchase a large drink um, to to. And to their get larges it. are large. Yeah, their larges are like obese. So it's like a seventy dollar drink that you get yes. a free burger with. Yeah, you get a gallon. I also think that offer. I I, I think the San Diego Chargers also have they that do offer. That? So I, I'm not partial to the. Um, the Jumbo Jack being the official burger of the LA Rams. For me, it comes down to Carl's Jr., which very meaningful to jump on the girly bandwagon, to want to associate, I mean, you know, Absolutely. put so much money, mm-hmm. it seems like, behind this campaign. Um, and such a creative campaign. At, at uh, uh, And I think it's a decent burger. Um, but at, ultimately, I'm going to... Um, I'm gonna say that the in out in and out burger is the uh the the burger we should really consider the official burger of the LA Rams. It should be the official burger of California. Yeah, you agree. Period. Okay. Yeah. The in and out burger, the double double. Yeah. It's the the Charles Burrell one, I mean, I had low expectations entering my first bite, mm-hmm. but I was impressed with the bun. I was impressed with like you said, the charbroiled kind of taste. So I was like, oh, okay. Like I was pleasantly surprised. Would I get it again? Maybe in a pinch after a late bender. Mm-hmm. But if I am of conscious, sane mind and I can, and I, you're showing me three burgers, a jumbo jack, a double, double and the Carl's jr. Deal. I'm going in and out 10 out of 10 times. Yep. yep. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, from Cole T H. Amazing show. Nothing quite like it out there. I don't just mean LA Rams. I mean sports podcasts all over. Two questions. How much time do you spend preparing for each episode? That's number one. And number two, what's been your most pleasant surprise of the Rams first season back in LA? 
Good question. Okay, so first one, how Prep. much time do you spend prepping? This is, I think, I would stagger my response uh, into two buckets. Like off season, I think we are slower. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing one every three weeks or so. Mm -hmm. And we were really excited also. So I would say we prepared <laughs> a lot uh, that over the course of this first season, um, if you include movie viewing time, some of some of which has been done over the years, um, I would say, let's say five hours per episode. I think you've prepped for the greatest show on grass for 30 years. Uh, <laughs> you have prepped for this for 90% of your life. This is this is your baby. Okay. You have prepped for this forever. Fair, fair, fair <laughs> to say. Maybe five hours is five uh, hours is like maybe five hours a like an afternoon. Like you know, each minute like, is five hours. Exactly. Yeah. Like you But during the season, I don't think we haven't been we haven't been crazy. We haven't been you know, talking all week leading. Yeah. We, we were having meetings in the beginning. Sure. Of the season, yeah, absolutely. Uh you know, I, I would say how much time do we spend? We watch the games. Yeah, so we don't watch that them story. twice. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it it gives and takes, you know. And it's but sports is passion. Rams is passion. Like this is football culture. I mean, it's not a it's it's doesn't feel like preparation because it it just feels like life. It just feels like this is what's natural. This is what I want to study. This is what I want to look into. So it doesn't feel like homework or preparation, so to speak. And it's, that's probably like the the podcast that you're. That I'm into, it absolutely. Probably is, you know, yeah. similar the hosts of those shows as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, what about the part about your most pleasant surprise of the season? That's a great question. Most pleasant surprise of the season. For me, it's for me, it's pretty easy. I mean, I don't, I don't look at a guy on the team. I don't look at a game, particular game. I don't, I don't think of a particular play that stands out. It's just going to the Coliseum for mm -hmm. me is just um, watching the fans line up um, to take photos along the perimeter of the stadium in front of the, the Coliseum peristyle, um, the melon heads, watching the melon heads put their melons back on their heads after 21 years of exile. Um, you know, what that day they, they, you know, they wore throwbacks right. in, in that Seattle Seahawks opening uh, game in the regular season. Um, that was probably my most like hype moment just because yeah. that's my favorite jersey in sports period. Yeah. yeah. And so just seeing that jersey come back, I was like, fuck yeah. Like I that would, yeah. probably. I knew they were wearing them that day. But when I walked down, when I walked out of the tunnel mm -hmm. down to section four where I sit, um, I sit like right on the 10 yard line as, as I was walking down. I did, the players weren't around me, but the cheerleaders were all lined up at the goal line with the, their pom-poms behind their <laughs> back. And they were wearing like throw, you know, the blue and mm -hmm. yellow uh, Rams throwbacks. And, just, and just like, yeah, it looked like a, the only frame of reference I had were, were photographs I had mm -hmm. seen. They look, it looked like I was stepping into this kind of weird time machine, weird time machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and just seeing the, the, the mixing of generations, like the older generations wearing their like Deacon Jones and Merlin Olsen jerseys with like, you know, walking with children with, with, with Gurley and, and Quinn 
on the back of their uniforms. Um, for me, that's been the the most pleasant pleasant part. surprise. Just not even realizing how um, much it would feel like that time machine. Yeah, I uh, I mentioned it. It's got to be just seeing that that throwback jersey. Yeah, because it's just so iconic and it represents like so much history. Yeah. Um, seeing that Jersey come out in that game against Seattle, uh, it's just been, it's the bridge, you know, I mean, yeah. everyone's saying home, they're not just coming to LA, they're coming home to LA, but the players are completely different. The ownership is completely different. The game is completely different. Mm-hmm. The fans are different. The it's sport is completely different. Absolutely. It, but that's the bridge, um, that yes. these colors we're on this field. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it, there's nothing that makes the point more stronger that the Rams haven't just come to Los Angeles. They've come home to Los Angeles. Yeah, I think that's the big difference because driving around, like you see the billboards everywhere, we're back. They're home. Uh, and all of those all of those cliches. And it's it's just different, though, once you see it actually come to fruition and you see those colors and it's only going to happen for three years because when, exactly when we're we going to do this again. In, well, <laughs> I'm saying we're not going to do it again. We're going to go into this incredibly futuristic stadium, state, right. st- this state of the art, a new home rather. that doesn't have really any roots, any. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not even built yet. They mm-hmm. haven't even broke ground on it yet. Um, so so I think this is a special time these three years. Um for the old to meet the new as yeah. you know, before we transition to this, to this new world. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Cause the, this new stadium, like I said, like it, it, although it has like no roots now and it's going to be, you know, an entertainment hub of Southern California where all these other events are going to be here. It's not going to be just the Rams home, but it's going to be a bookmark in the Rams history though, that is going to transcend and lead the rest of this franchise being back in Los Angeles. And that's going to be really, really cool to see. This Sunday, the Rams are back in action at the Coliseum for the first time since October 9th when they lost to the Bills. The Rams uh, have been in Detroit, in London, Mm. and in their homes for a bye week, uh, but are now uh, taking on the Carolina Panthers ever after having lost three in a row. Uh, The Panthers have won five of the past six meetings with the Rams. Uh, These teams used to play uh, more regularly in between 1995 and 2001. They were NFC West foes, so they played twice a year. Carolina's two and five. Um, surprisingly, um, but Carolina is one and two in the last three, uh, but two of the losses were really close games. And before that, um, they had two losses against, uh, Atlanta and Minnesota who, who, who have been real juggernauts this season. Um, back in episode seven, way back in episode seven, uh, Mm -hmm. we gave our predictions uh, for the season and I had this as a Rams upset win. Um, I've, I've been kind of lackluster about, um, where the Rams would ultimately sit it by the end of this, uh, season, but I always thought this would be a win. I thought the Panthers would be riding high. 
and might overlook a hungry Rams team coming off mm-hmm. uh, a bye week. And the, the, the Panthers are a two-point favorite um, and coming off a, a big win against right. the Cardinals. But I'm, I'm actually revisiting my prediction. I, I, I am going to say that this ends up uh, not being a great game uh, for the Rams. I just think a lot of um, unfortunate factors are coming together right around now. I think Carolina's trying, starting to hit their stride. Right. Um, defense is playing well for the first time this year. Wide receiver play is improving. And I feel like Cam Newton, he dropped this. I, I hated that he dropped this like media bomb this right. week about the refs not protecting him, um, particularly doing it prior to a game against the team that the refs seemingly exactly. love to whistle. So exactly. The Rams play a, a tough and aggressive style. Um, and I'm, I just fear that they're going to get, get some whistles uh, blowing against them. Uh, Absolutely. This and I just see, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, how do you see this game going? I believe I thought that the Panthers were going to win this game and I thought that they were going to decisively because I thought they were going to be the same Panthers that we saw last year that was pretty dominant, obviously, in going to the Super Bowl. But they're 2-5, and five, but like you said, a lot of those games were close, including the opener against Denver. They probably, coin flip could have gone either way. They should probably be 3-4. and what would it be? Four. Yeah, like three and four. Yeah, yeah um, or four and three as opposed to two and five. Um, but I still think they're going to win. Um, but I think it's you hit the nail on the head in terms of why. It's because of the, this media bomb that Cam dropped in terms of like nobody's protecting me. So they're going to, and he's going to have a talk with Roger Goodell. He's not having fun anymore. There's been a lot of talk about, oh, well, the NFL ratings are dropping and all this stuff. And I think there's a lot of different variables. And it's another conversation. But it, it doesn't help when your reigning MVP is saying that he's not having fun anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and if he's not having fun anymore, I mean, last year, all we did was see this guy dab and dance all over the place. And he said, if you don't like me dabbing, come hit me. Well, now they've hit him. And now he wants to take his ball and go home. And he wants to talk to mommy and daddy about it. And it's like, so it sounds dude, like you don't think his you you're, you're, you don't think his concerns are valid. No, I think his concerns are valid because some of some of those plays absolutely should have been flags. But I watch a lot of games, and he's not the only one not getting calls. So that's my beef with it. That don't just say it's it's not just you. And I understand like he could care less about anybody else, and he just you know what I mean. He's concerned with his own well being as opposed to the other quarterbacks in the league. But it's not just him. It has to be a more of a a, a organizational thing in terms of the league being more consistent with these calls. I have a vision. Here's what I, here's what I envision happening. I, I can see this in my mind so perfectly. It's third and 12. Um, and Greg Williams dials up some crazy scheme rushes, you know, blitzes one guy, but it's an unusual guy to blitz and everybody else drops into coverage Cam Newton drops back to pass, looks around on one side of the field for Ted Ginn Jr. He's covered, looks at the other side of the field. Benjamin's covered too. Um, meanwhile, of course, Aaron Donald's rushing, about to say, getting yeah. penetration on one of it on his one of the sides of the line. Cam Newton takes off. Okay. Now, this is a play that has doomed us all season mm-hmm. we couldn't handle it when tyrod taylor did it Russian for, quarterbacks. for the buffalo yeah. bills 
we couldn't handle it when Blaine Gabbert did it in the opening game of the season for the 49ers. So he starts taking off and it's Alec Ogletree or Mark Barron and Newton goes into some sort of hybrid slide lunge for the mm-hmm. first down and Ogletree and Barron go in hard or resist a little hold hold up that- a little bit and let him get the first down um out of fear of being whistled. Absolutely. Um that's my nightmare scenario. I think that's the play. It'll that, happen. <laughs> I mean, I think this might be a situation where you want to not necessarily go for the sack, but just you're damned cre- if you create do, this damned bubble if you don't. around Cam Newton and just don't, you know, maybe drop everybody back and or put one guy force as a him spy. to be a pocket passer. Yeah, force him. Don't let him get out of it because, oh yeah, yeah. I just I don't want to be chasing him around the field all day long. This yeah. could be a situation where he rushes for over a hundred yards. Um, Right, so this might be, you know, where Big Brother is just watching a way more overprotective of him to ensure that, you know what I mean, as a air quote, face of the franchise, you know, uh, and one of the faces of the league as the reigning MVP, you know, doesn't get hurt uh, because of the shit that he's been saying. But, yeah, I see that scenario playing out on Sunday. I really do. And it sucks because you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Because if you hit him too high, you hit him too low, you're going to get the flag. If you don't and you kind of, if he lunges uh, instead of sliding like you're supposed to, because uh, if then you you end up in like risking an injury of yourself and trying to stop at a stop of a dime, you know, to not hit this guy, uh, and then you might end up doing it accidentally or end up injuring yourself in the process. It's it's a screwed up situation. Even without this referee mind game uh, that Cam Newton is playing, I, I it really is a mind game. Yeah. You know, it's ingenious. I mean, it's. I think it's really clever to do it this week, going into this game yeah. against this team, against, the Rams. Exactly. Um, and it it perturbed Jeff Fisher. He addressed it in one of his um, press conferences uh, this week. He said what you said to a certain extent that this happens to every quarterback. Right. That the play that um, Newton was particularly upset about the week before against Calais Campbell was just incidental contact. You know, he exactly. got pushed into Newton. Like um, my bad, dude. <laughs> it's a, you know, a rough like, sport. Uh, Fisher, I think, is also aware of his and his team's reputation. For, that's for, what I'm for saying. Playing rough. Yeah, if they've been called dirty before, and now you've just had someone on a live microphone say that, "Oh my God, I'm getting hit too much. Protect me. This game isn't fun. I don't feel safe out there." Of course, now they're going to be looking at the big defensive bully that is the Rams defense a little bit, you know, a little bit more carefully And the first, the first quarter is going to tell it all too. They're probably going to call this game very, very tight. Um, there's probably going to be a lot of early flags. Um, when they stop the Panthers on first and second down and force them into a third down and the third and long the fans rise to their feet um, and you feel the momentum swinging the Rams way and they cover mm-hmm. these receivers does Cam Newton turn something out of nothing? That is my question. Other side of the ball, um, we've oh, talked Jesus. about Rams defense, but you know the Rams offense has had an extra week to figure out how to run the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what uh, what do you expect? Fifteen carries isn't a lot for Gurley. What he had uh, two weeks ago um, against the Giants. 
But I hope it was interesting, like talking about the, the offensive side of the ball, um, Gurley, there were some quotes from him that were saying that in terms of the state of the mind of the team and, and offensively, he said something to the effect of, well, I'm just going to leave it in God's hands. It is what it is. And a couple of cliches like that. And to me, like, you know, it's bad when they say leave it up to God. <laughs> like, it's never a good thing when you have to just throw it up to religion yeah. at that point. So that worries me about the state of mind offensively, like what they're going to do. And to me, it shows that he might be doubting himself a little bit. And I just want him to to answer a cliche with a cliche that just kind of have fun with the game again and to get out of his own head. You know, a name we haven't mentioned um, for months and months, and I haven't heard anyone mention for months and months, is uh, Trey Mason, who oh, everyone, uh, you know, thought going into the season was going to be their change of pace back. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that would periodically spell Todd Gurley for a series here, a series there, and offer a different look to a defense. And, you know, I wonder how much it would help to have him on the field. Um just a guy with a different running style um, who can earn some yards here and there and uh, force defenses who have been playing one way to adjust. Um, And um, not that I think Gurley needs rest Mm -hmm. necessarily, but just to offer a different running look. Yeah. Um, Because right now it just seems like it's, well, stagnant. Yeah, I think the defense is just on to him. It reminded me of honestly, like the the Clippers. Like, not to everybody knows, like I'm a Clippers fan. Like on this show, and basketball season just started, so October and November is always my favorite time of the year. It's like football, middle of the season. October baseball is awesome. Basketball starting up. This is my favorite fucking time of the year. And the Clippers, they've they're the most fun when they're wide open too. When they play with space, that's when they're lob city. That's when they're throwing up lobs. They're dunking. Chris Paul can cross people over. That's when they're having fun. But when you see them in a half-court offense having to execute a play that was drawn up with X's and O's, they look shook. They're just like, uh, they don't know what to do. And that kind of reminds me of Gurley. Like, let him be open. Let him have fun. Let him play the game that he's been playing since he was a kid instead of trying to force something in him that obviously isn't coming out naturally in comparison to his rookie year. I hear, hear. Um, Lob City. Lob City. <laughs> That's what the Rams need, a little dose of Lob City. A little City. bit of Lob City. Have fun with it. You get some Lob City in there. That would be another Rob mascot. Boris needs to design an alley-oop to... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Greatest Show on Grass. Please subscribe on iTunes, email us at greatestshowongrass at gmail.com, and share our podcast with the Rams fans in your life, whether they've been rooting for the team for 30 years. 30 days. Please, please tell me why you always leave. Please tell me why you always leave.